The word of God reads as follows. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Why the world needs the church. I've uh, been thinking about this a little while uh, because a lot of the um, conferences, trainings, classes I've been taking over the past couple years have always asked a pointed question. Um, If your church was to close down tomorrow, would anybody in your neighborhood miss it? If your church was to close down tomorrow, would the community be affected about that? And and that's been drilled home to me through my training process. And even with the seminary professors talking about you cannot be a Christian outside of community. You have to be about being in the community and helping the people and at least letting them know who you are and being able to make uh, your presence felt. Um, The first church. Uh, in Acts, the early church, they were all about the community. Uh, James says that pure religion is being able to take care of the widows and the orphans, people who can't take care of themselves. These are community things. That is what the church is about. And I find it interesting. I come from the gospel according to Matthew uh, for this message because... Matthew is often called the church gospel. Uh, This is where we get some of our structure from in churches, the gospel according to Matthew. In the gospel according to Matthew, the disciples get what Jesus is saying and they go and run with it. The gospel according to Matthew also includes the passage I just read, which is called the Great Commission. Jesus has done what he needed to do. He was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again with all power in his hand. And it sits at the right hand of the Father. He's done his job. It is now time for us to do ours. Um, There was a pastor, a colleague of mine out in Temple, Texas, that was at local pastor licensing school with me. And he uh, brought up an interesting point with his church. Uh, they were going to uh, spend all this time trying to devise a mission statement. And they wanted to come up with all these highfalutin sounding words and multisyllabic complicated phrases and everything they wanted to do to talk about engaging spirituality and being a committed community to Christ and reaching out and this, that, and other. And he said when he got there, we don't need to spend time on a mission statement. We have a mission statement. It's Matthew 28. 18 through through 20. We need to go and make disciples. And that's what he put on the back of the bus. That's what he puts on all the marketing material. That's what he puts on everything that has anything to do with what that church does. Make disciples. That's our job. And so in the gospel, according to Matthew, we have... um, We have this great commission, and he says that all authority has been given to Christ. 
and he's turning over the teaching responsibility. They spent their time, the disciples spent their time walking with Jesus, and he's turning over the teaching the teaching responsibility, excuse me, to the disciples. And not only that, they're to go preach to all nations, not just Israel. It says, go make, make disciples of all nations, not just Israel. And that's been a point of contention, and I find it interesting that that coincides with the other lectionary scripture readings about Paul teaching to the Gentiles, God's grace is for all. That is uh, one of the beauties of the church is God's grace is for all. It's not for a select few. Anybody can receive the grace if they choose to. Now it's time to go out and do the work. Uh, Theologian Dolores Williams talks about the Great Commission and she says it's more than just saving souls. It's community building. It's establishing a quality of life, economic, spiritual, and educational. We're not just about um, giving people Jesus and then saying, here's your Jesus and I'll I'll holler at you later. The church needs to be active in the community. Uh, One of the things I was learning when I researched this sermon that educational piece stuck out to me. I discovered that uh, John Wesley, one of our founding fathers, uh, started Sunday school. He didn't call it Sunday school. A man by the name of Robert Rakes, about 50 or 60 years later, decided to call this what we do Sunday school. Um, But John Wesley was the one that, they were both Anglican as well. They're both part of Anglican Church which is the forerunner for the United Methodist Church, but they both, John Wesley was the one who originally had kids meeting Sunday prior to church service to teach them. Uh, Labor laws were a little different back in uh, the 18th century and the 17th century in England, and so kids had to work. And they had to work 12-hour days and six days a week. And they not only had to work the 12-hour days, six days a week, there was no time to go to school. So John Wesley devised a way for them to meet in the school before, I mean, meet in the church before church started. And he was teaching them how to read and how to write and how to do arithmetic and do all of these different things. This was school for them, Sunday school. And he started that forerunner. So that was that stuck out to me. You know, we have to be about establishing the quality of life. The more education you got, you could affect your economic position, and if you could affect your economic position, you could affect your way of life. Not prosperity preaching right here, just stating the facts. Amen. More education tends to mean more money. Even if it's not formalized, if you know how to do something that somebody else can't do, you can turn that into income. Affect the way of life. Be active in the community. It's time to get to work. He gave this message on a mountain, and Uh, Some theologians have said uh, the Greek that is used uh, lets us know that this entire process was part of a plan. The the, the Greek words that they were using let you know that it was interesting that he started his ministry on a mountain and he finished his ministry given a commission on a mountain. The, The place was preordained. It was planned. God operates in decency and order and so the church should operate in decency and order. That's what we need to do. 
So it started on a mountain and it ended on a mountain. And another thing I've noticed as well, and it has caused me to look at the scripture in a completely new light. Uh, Sometimes we read the Bible and uh, we think that they are talking to the people in the Bible. But they're not just talking to the people in the Bible. They are theologians that argue this was specifically written because they knew thousands of years ago, thousands of years later, rather, somebody else will be reading. So it's not just the disciples that are in this part. It's not just their job to make disciples. It's our job. We have to go share the knowledge of Christ with others. And so why the church? God's grace is for all. The unmerited favor, we get something, we get more than we deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting more than what you deserve. The mercy is escaping death, hell, and the grave. But the grace is being able to have a fruitful and abundant life outside of that, on top of that, rather. We get more than we deserve, and we have those three different kinds of grace in the United Methodist system. We have more, but the three that are hammered home by John Wesley, our provenient grace and our justifying grace and our sanctifying grace. It's like a house. The provenient grace is the porch. It's covering you before you get in the house. But you're still on the outside. Before you were in your womb, I knew you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's, It's that provenient, it's pre, it's before. Justification, justifying grace. That's the decision you make to walk through the door and come into the house. That decision to decide that you want to follow Jesus Christ. Then you have the sanctifying grace or the perfecting grace as we call it. And that's when you're in the house. Uh, (laughs) Growing up in my mother's house, there were rules we had to follow. There were things we had to do. There were things we could say. There were things we could not say. There were places we had to be at certain times. And if ever there was a dispute, my mother would go find the lease or the mortgage and start reading it to us. Why is is everybody laughing? I'm dead serious. And she would say, you know, I don't see I don't see your name anywhere on here. So we were following the rules and I may not have liked following those rules all the time, but it made me a better man. We are in the house following rules. And if ever there is a dispute over the rules, we can pull out this contract and find out what the contract says. But the good part as well is in this contract, your name is on it. It says you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You shall be the lender and not be the borrower. You should be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed when you come and blessed where you go. It says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are blessed. Your name is on it. God's grace is for all. Furthermore, the church is in society. I um, 
used to struggle with this, but now I kind of understand it a little more. Um, I never really like to see preachers in front of microphones at press conferences whenever something was going on bad, whether it be good or bad. I, I was I often was reminded of uh, Reverend Al Sharpton in the Tawana Brawley situation. I didn't like that. I felt that, especially before I started the process, I felt like people were trying to capitalize upon a situation. And I felt like they should be back at their churches somewhere instead in front of these these cameras talking about what's wrong and what's right. But then the Trayvon Martin situation happened. And I realized that that could have been me. And then I realized that it's more than just a press conference or an opportunity, but we, are, we as a church need to be in society. We need to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, whether that means operating a soup kitchen or speaking up for a young man who was shot in the neighborhood. We are in society. We need to be there. And I'm learning the social justice, the being able to speak for the least, the last, and the lost. That is why we need the church because when no one else can speak, For those who can't speak, the church needs to be able to do it. We nurture people in Christian living. Back to this contract. Anything you want to know about is somewhere in here. There's not a story that hasn't been told that wasn't told first in the Bible. There is not a problem that hasn't been solved at its core in the Bible. Sure, the technology has changed and the names have changed and the cities have changed, but it's still here. There is nothing new under the sun, but here is the support in your ministry. Here is the, here is the, able, here is the possibility or the ability to look to the hills from which cometh your strength. Here is the encouragement. Here's your support. We also support people in their ministry. I um another little pastoral pet peeve of mine uh, when I travel or visit other churches or see other churches, um, see other ministers in the church, and uh, I watch what they do with those who are um, in the process of getting ordained or in the, in, in the, um, the, the assistant ministers, the, the ministers on the roster, those who are coming through the process. And um, Watching those who are in the process of getting ordained and they practically haze them. I, I, I'm not going to say any names, but I went to a church once 
and there was uh, some some chairs that needed to be moved around, and uh, a little bit of trash had got on the floor before a christening was about to start. And the senior pastor started to pick the stuff up, and then he stopped and said, wait, no, no, I ain't cleaning this up. Where the assistant ministers at? Where the deacons at? Y'all need to get up on this. And walked away. I, I didn't really appreciate that. I mean, I understand there are some people who will get in this process because they want to be on a big stage and they want to be in front of all these people and they think it's all glitz and glamour and there are things that you can do to curtail that mindset. But there are people who are interested in filling out holy orders. They're interested in walking out their, 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 um, their call. They're trying to discern what God has for them. You're not supposed to pledge them. But here we support people in their ministry. We have a set, drawn out process. If you feel called to lead, if you feel called to be a servant in Christ's holy kingdom, if you feel called to walk out holy orders, there's a process set out. And it's inclusive. You know, I've never quite understood and this is just my personal pet peeve, once again, getting a little personal in the sermon, but how the gospel can be born of a woman. All right, go ahead, a woman can be there for the suffering and the crucifixion. Yes. Amen. A woman can be there to see that he's rose from the dead and an angel tell a woman, you go tell the disciples but you can't let that woman in a pulpit. I don't, I don't get that. A woman preached the first sermon of the gospel. We support people in our ministry, in their ministry. We don't say they are not qualified. I had a classmate. Um, they were in a seminary before they came to SMU with me and they were in their preaching class and um, for your preaching class you know you have to uh, get up and give a sermon Mm -hmm. in the class and she gave a wonderful sermon Mm -hmm. hands down real good and then the teacher got up behind her and went to explain to the rest of the class how that wasn't a sermon because women can't preach that was a testimony and it was a good testimony but it wasn't a sermon so she promptly left that school and transferred to SMU Perkins School of Theology where we support people in their ministry. We love God and our neighbor. Once again, being inclusive. God's love is for all. We all have things that if we were to broadcast them and publish them in the paper, we'd be pretty embarrassed about that we've done. But we don't judge. God's love is for all. We love God and we love our neighbor. For how can you claim to love God who you have not seen but don't love your neighbor who you see every day being a Christian in community is a being a Christian in community is a representation of your relationship with God and finally we preach Jesus I only really have one sermon 
even though I use a lot of different scriptures and may get there a lot of different ways, but eventually it's going to come back to Jesus, the Savior of our souls, the root and the offspring of David, the rose of Sharon, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We go out and we tell people that they can have something to avoid besides death, hell, and the grave. There is everlasting life. There is salvation. There is blessings in Jesus. Why the church? Because society needs Jesus. And the church is there to teach it for them. To teach it, teach it to them. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open. And we invite you to come.